introduce myself. My name is Ho. Thanks to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I'll be the music man's number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho. What's good, everybody, and welcome. To another episode of the I'm Telling It Like a T.I. Is podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Friday, December the 9th, the year 2022. Lots to do here on this weekend program. Week 14, the National Football League is upon us. Uh, preview four marquee games and, of course, the Week 14 picks against the spread. Uh, as promised, I'll give you my two cents on the uh, Deion Sanders uh, on him taking the uh, job as being their new head football coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. I'll give you my two cents on that. And uh, Xander Bogarts is a San Diego Padre. I will give you a couple of thoughts in terms of that and where the Red Sox stand in terms of their uh, in terms of where they are as a franchise here in free agency, two thousand and 22 heading into 23 where we will begin and no i will not waste breath and waste precious showtime breaking down bacon mayfield's 98 yard drive uh against the Ve- against uh, vegas last night uh, which means absolutely nothing in the big picture when matthew stafford uh when matthew stafford comes back in 2023 he's going to be the starting quarterback okay this is just Bacon Mayfield, one last uh, gasp at him trying to save his NFL career and putting on an audition to any quarterback that, or for any team that may need a quarterback in 2023 and beyond, a la the Jets. Uh, if they if Mike White fizzles out and they don't want any parts of Zach Wilson, the Giants, if they don't want to uh, pay uh, Daniel Jones at season's end, this is what this is about. It's just it's, it's the Bacon May it's the Bacon Mayfield audition for the other you know twenty something teams in the National Football League that are looking for a quarterback. The the game means nothing. The idea that the uh that Vegas was in the playoff hunt because they had a nice little 3-4 game winning streak is it was absolutely preposterous and uh, I'm glad that that little uh narrative was shut down immediately with the Raiders blowing yet another game why Josh McDaniels is still empl- well we know why he's employed because the Raiders and uh Mark Davis is so damn cash poor they can't afford to uh buy him out you can't afford to buy out and pay off the rest of his contract, so we know why he's is still employed at this point. But I mean, you know, what you see is what you get with the Vegas Raiders. Um, so that game, I mean, it was if you're a Bacon Mayfield fan or or an old teammate of his, you can get your jollies off watching him conduct the 98 drive and how the ending of the game last night was essentially a carbon copy of the comeback. Uh, that the uh, Bucks had against the uh, against the Saints earlier th- earlier this week on uh, on Monday Night Football, but yeah, I mean, we I'm we, gonna sit up here and waste 20 minutes breaking it down. Bad enough, I already mi- wasted 90 seconds. So good for Baker and Mike and the OC. He you know can have a Rams win to be proud of for the first time since. Uh, February 13th with that uh, fraudulent disgraceful franchise that the uh, that the LA Rams are so congratulations they can uh, celebrate as if they won the Super Bowl 
because uh, Lord knows their ass ain't sniffing the playoffs in 2022 and hopefully uh, for a good uh, 20 years. You know, you beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl, you get cursed. That's how this works. Uh, anyway, to the games that matter on Sunday, we will begin with the New York Jets taking on the Buffalo Bills. Key divisional game. For these uh, two squads, uh, the Bills, of course, lost to the Jets down at the Meadowlands when they when they played each other uh, about a month ago. The Jets seven and five, coming off of their uh, road loss in heartbreaking fashion, 27-22 to the uh, Minnesota Vikings with Rope Noir Buffalo. Uh, coming off of uh, three wins in 11 days, the two wins in Detroit against the Browns and Thanksgiving Day against the Lions, and then a road game la a week ago last night uh, against, excuse me, as I'm burping and, yaw and yawning kind of as a combo, but coming off of a uh, their win a uh, week ago last night against the New England Patriots up at Gillette Stadium. The Bills are at 9-3 and three and currently hold the number one seed in the AFC thanks to my Cincinnati Bengals beating the Kansas City Chiefs yet again on Sunday. Throw in the fact that the uh, Miami Dolphins lost to the throwing throwing the fact that the Miami Dolphins lost to the uh, San Francisco 49ers and the Bills all of a sudden you know it looks like they were in dire situations you know wild card they dropped from like the one or the two down to the sixth seed and they're not in first place and and sky is falling no now granted no Von Miller rest of the season which is a which is a brutal 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 loss but they are nine and three still have that number one seed which they need. Uh, especially with a lot of injuries among uh, you know up and down that uh, up and down the 53 and they uh hold the and they're in first place in the AFC East and the and the Jets excuse me the Bills if you look at their schedule they have the Jets this they have back to back tough game they have three tough games the rest of the season and two of them in division back to back Jets and Dolphins which are home games to their benefit and they got the Bengals on Monday night, the second day of the new year. They and then they close out home against the Patriots, and then they got the Bears on the road in Chicago on Christmas Eve. So the so the Bills have a they have a challengeable they have a they have a challenging challenging schedule, not a difficult one. Worst case scenario, if they lose to you know. If they lose, if they lose to the to if they lose the three uh, hard games, the Bills, the Jets, and the uh, or excuse me, the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bengals. Worst case scenario, they finish eleven and six, with the with the Patriots and the Bears being on their schedule. If they they have one, two, three, four, five. If they go three and two, they finish they finish uh, twelve and five. If they finish four and one, they finish thirteen and four. If they if they went out the rest of the way, they're fourteen and three, and would be in prime sequence to uh, take the number one seed in the AFC. Meanwhile, the Jets, who coming off of like I said, they're they're a game that they had in their hands against Minnesota last Sunday. They have, of course, Buffalo on Sunday, and they have a very very. Uh, they have a manageable schedule, not no gimmies, but a manageable schedule down the stretch. They have the Lions, who are riding high at five and seven, 
We'll have won four out of the last six games. We'll have won uh, four, four, four out of their last uh, five games. No, excuse me, five out of the last six games. That's a home game for them. They got Jacksonville the week after on Thursday night, and then they have and then they have a tough finish to close out the season on the road against the Seahawks and on the road against the Miami Dolphins, which will not be easy. The Seahawks trying to, and now with Brock and with the injury with Jimmy Garoppolo, the uh, the AF excuse me the NFC uh, West is just as wide open as it as it's as it currently was before Jimmy G uh, got hurt. And then, of course, the Seahawks trying to fight off uh, the uh, Giants in Washington for a wild card spot in the NFC. And then, of course, last weekend of the season in Miami with the Dolphins, they'll need that game for wild card seeding uh, and possibly the division if Buffalo were to, say, lose another game or two before the regular season is all said and done. But at, from a standpoint of how of what teams got to do to execute, Buffalo Bills got to Buffalo Bills have to do a better job of taking care of the football. If you go back, and I'm not relate, relating it to their games that they played, to the games that they played back in over the last uh, couple of weeks, I'm going all the way back to uh I'm going back to November the 6th where Allen had two costly had two costly interceptions they had the red zone interception and they had the other interception of Sauce Gardner was- wasting away a Zach Wilson fumble that got the Jets in decent there excuse me that that set up shop for the Jets to get the ball in decent territory uh Allen 18 to 34 only threw for 205 passing yards got sacked five times so the Bills offensive line's got to do a better job protecting Josh Allen got sacked five times Allen's got to limit the uh got to limit the got to limit the turnovers limit which he has done a, a good a good job at at least going off of uh, going off of the uh, game in week 13 on uh, last Thursday night, but he's got to contain. But he's he got to use that. He's got to use that performance that he had against the Patriots last Thursday night and build upon that. No turnovers inside the red zone, and when the play breaks down, pass rush, either take the sack or throw the ball away. Don't try to do too much and play hero ball. Jets did a phenomenal job back on November 6th getting after him, making uh, making uh, Allen think on his toes, making uh, making him to force a couple of, uh, not a couple, but force many of ill-advised uh, passes, and, uh, and they did a good job of, of keeping the Buffalo Bills offense in check, only scoring 17 points on Sunday. I don't anticipate it being that, e- you know, if that be that being uh, a- as easy to come by as it was back on November 6th, but the jets have to get after Josh Allen, force him to make a couple of mistakes, uh, confuse him a little bit with their, with their defense, with their defensive scheming and win their secondary sauce Garner, uh, of course had a pick back in the, back in that game in early November. We'll see how his performances against the Fawn Diggs, uh, line up against him on come Sunday afternoon, man to man, mano a mano. Uh, it looks like they're calling for snow temperatures in the thirties on, on Sunday. We'll see how that, uh, benefits Buffalo and, and, uh, and possibly hurt the Jets, and in terms of the of what the Jets have to do uh, offensively, is that the Jets have to they got to capitalize inside the red zone. They were apps. They were they, and I'll read you their numbers inside the red zone 
uh, against Minnesota here in the next uh, 30 seconds. But the Jets inside the red zone were oh or one not oh they were one for six in red zone efficiency. One for six inside the red zone is not is not going to be good enough to beat this Buffalo Bills team and to beat this offense. Even with no even with no uh, Von Miller and their defense is has certainly been decimated over uh, as a result of injury over the course of the season. One for six inside the red zone is not going to be good enough to get it done against the Buffalo Bills. You get down inside the red zone, which they did many a time against Minnesota last week. Kicking uh five, six, seven field goals ain't going to be good enough to beat the Buffalo Bills. You get in the red zone, you got to capitalize and score touchdowns. Simple. Just If the Jets can't find a way to put the ball in the end zone consistently inside the red zone, they have no chance. So, so get the idea of sending Greg Zerline out to kick 50 field goals inside the inside uh, uh, Buffalo's 20-yard line. If you're the Jets' offense, if you're Lafleur, if you're Salah, you gotta get that. You gotta get that thought process out of your head. You you get inside the red zone. You got to score touchdowns. Unless it's a situation where a field goal ties the game, or a field goal puts you up by ten. Or or field goal brings you within a field goal brings you within a touchdown or field goal takes the lead unless it's any of those circumstances that I just named that I just named that I just listed you get inside the red zone you got to put that you got to put that ball in the you, when you get inside the red zone you can't walk away with only three points consistently you got to score touchdowns and. Mike White heroic, you know, had a hero- had a heroic game. Did the best he could, thirty one of fifty seven, three sixty nine uh, passing. Only got sacked once. Bottom line is he's got to take care of the football through the two interceptions. One which ended the game. The other one, uh, the other one which you can make the argument wasn't entirely his fault. But White's got got to take care of the football. And if your receivers like Braxton Berrios, when Mike White throws you the football to hit you right in, square in between the numbers in the in the end zone, you got to be able to hold on, complete the process, and catch the damn ball. So, Jets got to be able, and we'll see how the Jets' running attack. They threw the ball fifty-seven times. They only ran it. Uh, combined for for twenty four, we'll see if the uh, Jets when if the opportunity presents itself where they don't have to uh, climb their way out of a deficit and out of a hole which they had to do uh, throughout the course of the Minnesota game. How well they'll be able to run the football? Because another reason why the Jets were able to get the job done against uh, were able to get the job done against uh, Buffalo on November the uh, on November the sixth in Week Nine. Is because of the fact that the Jets, as a t- at the, because the Jets as a team ran the ball thirty four times for one hundred and seventy four on the ground, and the fact that they also, uh, and the fact that they also were able to do an excellent job of uh, ex of executing, or of executing on fourth down, executing on fourth down, and they ruled the uh, Bills in time of possession. With 32, 32 minutes and forty four seconds time of possession, so we'll see how their game plan works out to keep the ball away from Josh Allen as much as possible, keep him on the sidelines, run the football, control the pace of the game, and uh, and if Mike White may, will make his you know when he makes his throws at the given opportunity, will the Jets be able to hold on to him, and uh, will the Jets be able to hold on to him and make the plays? Uh, downfield throughout the course and sequence of the game, and then if Buffalo 
don't have a repeat performance offensively of what took place at the Meadowlands. Because if you do, you're not you're not going to win the game. You know, just found a way to win that game with Zach Wilson, Mike White. I I like I like their chances. Although I think a little spoiler, I think Buffalo will win the game. But I like their chance. But just because uh, Mike White is a quarterback, I don't refute their chances of winning. I absolutely don't. Uh, so game number two between the Eagles and the Giants. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are the best team in the NFL, like I mentioned on Wednesday's show. And the New York Football Giants, uh, they gotta win this. They gotta win this game. You know, the the uh, Washington is done with uh, is done with Philadelphia. The rest of the se- well, the rest of the regular season, which suits which uh, suits them uh, to a uh, to a benefit. And the Giants still have yet to play Philadelphia, of course. With this first game being on, uh, with this first game being on uh, Sunday, and the final game coming in Week 18 on January 8th, and the Giants, that was a tie that you'll take, but they had many of opportunities to win the game and take that game from uh, Washington, as we discussed earlier in the week. They got a difficult schedule. The Commanders twice, the Eagles, t- or excuse me, the com- they have, well, dating back to last Sunday, the Commanders twice, Eagles twice, and the Vikings. The only gimme game in parenthesis, in air quotes, that, you, that they have on their schedule on paper is Week 17 at home against the Colts. Otherwise, they got NFC East opponents trying to, uh, comp- trying to uh, the Eagles trying to hold on to number one seed, the, the Commanders are fighting with the Giants and then turn the Seahawks to get a wild card spot. And the Vikings are trying to chase the Eagles to get the uh, number one seed uh, in the in the NFC uh, playoffs with the division, of course, already locked up in a landslide. The Giants got to do a better job. Uh, again, we discussed it on Wednesday. Giants got to do a better job play calling, uh, you know, during, with Dayball taking uh, chances fourth and short. You got, you can't, uh, play for the tie and play conservative. You gotta sometimes in games in uh, in December that you have to have to help your playoff causes. You gotta go for the jugular, go for the kill, and uh, and and, t- and take the game when the opportunity is there on the table. Uh, so the play calling's gotta be better. They gotta also find a way to stop uh, to stop Jalen Hurts. And like I said on uh, like I said on Wednesday. One of the things that re- that really uh, would scare you about the Eagles is because of the fact that they were able to beat you running the football for over 300, 350 yards against the Green Bay Packers two weeks ago. And then on Sunday, they Jalen Hurts threw for over 350 uh, against, the, uh, against the Tennessee Titans. So with the Giants' defensive game plan, it's pick. It's a game of pick your poison. You're going to allow the Eagles to. You're going to give the Eagles the run game and kind of on the fact that you're that you're going to get them. You know, in a 13 nothing deficit and control the clock and basically force the Eagles to move the ball downfield via the running game and count on the fact that they'll run out of time and uh, and the game will get away from them. Uh, and the game will get away from them quick. Or are you going to uh, count? Or are you going to uh, 
count on the fact you'll take away the passing game. You'll find a way to lock up A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and give and give the Eagles. Uh, or no, wait, I already said that. You give the Eagles the uh, the running. You give the Eagles the passing game and and stop the and find a way to stop the run. I got it backwards. I already said the first. I already said the first scenario earlier. You give the Eagles the pass and you take away the run. And you make Jalen Hurts throw for three fifty again and, and three touchdown passes, and you allow and you allow them to throw the ball deep downfield while you control the clock and count on the fact that you'll have Jalen Hurts throw the football thirty eight forty one, you know, and 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 be a, and become a one dimensional offense and have Wink Martindale peel peel your uh, peel your uh, pass rushers back, pin the ears back, and allow them to uh, to get after Jalen Hurts. But they are a very well balanced offense, which if which would scare me if I was uh, if I was Wink Martindale because they because they got many a different methods to beat you. They can run the football eat with uh, with um, Jalen Hurts too. I might add along with Miles Sanders, and then all and then on the flip side, they can have uh, they can turn Jalen Hurts into a pocket passer for a game, and I'll, and have AJ have and send AJ Brown and uh, Devonta Smith have them do what they do best, run their routes, and all of a sudden you look up and Jalen Hurts is throwing for you know four hundred yards and five touchdown passes. So it'll be very intriguing to see what method uh, and what game plan uh, the New York Football Giants will punch up for uh, for sun for Sunday's game. And then again with the Giants, got to be able to take care of the football. Uh, take care of the football. Limit the mistakes. Uh, if you're uh, uh, Darius Slayton, you got to be able to 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 hold on to the football. Hold on to the football, take care of it, catch the football. Similar scenario with uh, with Braxton Barrios, and when the big plays are there for you to take advantage of, you gotta just make them. You can't leave points, and you can't leave big plays on the table uh, going up against this Eagle team because they too because they're too damn good for you to, for you to uh, leave plays and leave points on the table and get away with it. They're too good. And we'll see if the Eagles are be able to maintain and put together a complete performance uh, in back-to-back games. Something that we haven't seen from them uh, in a long, long time. Game number three, and you can kind of, you know, it's not a great game because it's bright because it's Brock Purdy and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense is anemic. But it is a game of huge significance, nevertheless. The Tampa Buccaneers coming off of that come from behind victory on Monday night earlier this week. Meanwhile, the San Francisco 49ers curb stomping the uh, Miami Dolphins last week. You know, I anticipate Shanahan to uh, play to Brock Purdy's strengths. He was he won was not that wasn't bad. wasn't great, but not bad for the third string third string quarterback on their roster. So I anticipate I anticipate Shanahan doing what he does best, and that's curtailing the the team's offensive uh, identity and their game plans to suit Purdy's strengths and to not have and not have him. Uh, 
have the ball in his hands constantly and allowing CMC to do a lot of the work, run the football out of the backfield, and, of course, utilizing utilizing him in a passing game. We'll see if they will uh, use George Kittle more in the passing game to kind of have him open up to be uh, Purdy's safety blanket. You know, if 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 uh, McCaffrey's covered, if McCaffrey's covered in his option route coming out of the backfield, if Ayuk Samuel covered, you know, and they and they essentially give uh, George Kittle open underneath. We'll see if Shanahan will do that, and just just to just to. Uh, get rid of any nerves and any angst, anxiety that Purdy may have to, you know, to start being at his first NFL start on sun, first NFL start on Sunday, and just to, you know, get the get the cobwebs out and and in great and 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, kind of um. And initiate or initiate and great, you know what I'm trying to say, himself into the football game and into that starting quarterback role. You don't want to like throw him into the deep end of the pool. You kind of want him to to ease his way into it. And we'll see if Shanahan will orchestrate a lot of uh, passing plays that will get uh, Purdy stats up, get his completes percentage out. Help help him out statistically and help and help uh, in turn boost his confidence and we'll see uh, if Shanahan will do that. I surely anticipate that he will. Uh, I I think George. I think that you'll see a lot of uh, a decent amount of George Kittle in this game. Not have him. Not have pretty. You know, chuck the ball deep. A lot of dink and dunks underneath over the middle. Uh, drag routes. I think you'll see a lot of that as well, just to get his numbers up and to get his confidence up. Because listen, for un- unless you know they make it to about the divisional round or the championship game again, this is Brock. This is Brock Purdy's football team the rest of the regular season from here on out. Or excuse me, the rest of the season from here from here on out. So uh, we'll see how Shanahan uh, does that. Meanwhile, their defense with San Francisco. Best defense of all of, in all of football. This is a championship defense, in case you haven't noticed, or me just stating the obvious here. But a championship level defense. I don't think. I think Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will have a freaking fit moving the ball down the field on this football team because they just got too many. They got two Fred Warner at linebacker. They got two Nick Bosa. They have too many. Damn Ward. The uh, ward, they're they're uh, one of their elite DBs. They'll have a fit moving the ball down the field on this offense. Lord knows that they can't run the football, so they become one dimensional. It's like okay, have Bosa and the crew pin their ears back, elite second, elite uh, secondary play, and uh, and away you go. So I think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will, you know, it won't be a high scoring blowout, but I anticipate this. Now, this game will have the makings of it being a 21-3, nothing type of game. A low-scoring blowout. So, if you're betting the over-under in this game, I would strongly suggest you bet the under. Because I think the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensively will be in for a long afternoon. And then, finally, the Miami Dolphins and the... Uh, Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers season right now, folks, is currently on life support after they lost to Vegas uh, last Sunday afternoon. You look and see where the, where the Chargers are in the in the AFC uh, wild card picture. They're in the they are in the hunt. 
they're in the hunt behind the Patriots uh, as the ninth best team in the AFC. They got to leapfrog New England. They got to leapfrog the Jets. They got to worry about the Dolphins and the Bengals who currently hold the five and six in the AFC. I don't think the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. I be I I don't. I mean, you look at their record. They're four and four. With their four and four within the uh, within the within the AFC, the Jets are five and four. The Dolphins are six and two. The Bengals are five and three. How the Patriots are five and three within the within the AFC. So their in in conference record certainly uh, hurt certainly hurts them. They've you know they're very up and down team inconsistent their defense stinks staley is out the lunch their season's on life support so i think i think i i think win or lose the chargers aren't going to make the playoffs if they win and prove the seven and seven great if the bengals and the dolphin if the bengals and dolphins go out and win and prove themselves a nine and four and the jet and the jets you know pull off the upset and uh and improve the eight and five I mean, what what exactly does that accomplish? If the Jets say fall to seven and six, and the Chargers win Sunday and and the Chargers win Sunday night, maybe that's a possibility. But the Patriots who but the Patriots who hold tiebreaker over the Jets, if they would have the similar record record at the end of the regular season, you know, you'd figure the Chargers would be on the outside looking in already because the Patriots currently hold the eight if there was such thing, and the Chargers hold the nine. But their season's on life support anyway. I think win or lose, unless something ridiculous happens. The Chargers don't have a chance in hell to make the playoffs. Meanwhile, the Miami and, not, and they're injured to hell and back like you wouldn't believe on the defensive and offensive side of the football at, at a lot of their key positions. And then the Miami Dolphins, you know, you don't anticipate with that defense being as horrendous as it is and as bad as it was last week, having issues covering Devontae Adams and stopping the run of Josh Jacobs, who had another career day last Sunday as we discussed the Miami Dolphins are not going to be down long. They're going to take that loss against San Francisco as a slice of humble pie, get themselves together, regroup, reset, and Tua will go crazy. Tyree kill Jalen Waddle show, and it'll be 31-17 Miami before you know it. This is a, if, if the Miami Dolphins don't win, don't win this game on Sunday night, I'd be very, very concerned about them. Very concerned. This, this is the this this is I understand Herbert is is a talented quarterback. This is a layup game for the Dolphins. This this is a layup confidence booster game for Miami. They don't win they don't win this. I'd be concerned about Miami and depending on how the Jets and Patriots do on Sunday afternoon, the Chargers may have life. May I don't think that they will, but never say never. All right. Your week 14 preview. I gave you my two cents on Deion Sanders. Just getting started. This is the Metallica TIS podcast.
So the air is thick, smelling right. So you pass to the left and then you sail to the right. Don't be so quick to walk away. And dance with me, I wanna rock your body. Just please stay. And dance with me, you don't have to admit you that you wanna play. Dance with me, let me rock you up to the break of day. Welcome back to the Avatar Like a TIS podcast. Oh, what a gem of a song that is. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I love that damn song. I love that song. Anyway, uh, we will switch gears now to something. And it's always the Tuesday show that are just freaking jam-packed busy. And the Friday, and the Friday shows are more of the... Uh, at least since the football season's been over, they're not as congested with stuff I got to talk about uh, as uh, as the Tuesday shows are recapping of basically the weekend that was in sports from Saturday, Sunday, and uh, and even Monday and some part of Tuesday, depending on what time I uh, I click the record button of this show. Anyway. I want to give my two cents on Deion Sanders taking the Colorado job. First off, good for him that he, like, and like he said, you know, coaches, they either get shown the door or they get promoted. That's it. Players, you know, players get the motion. Players get the motive. Baseball. Baseball, I think hockey and basketball as well. Hockey has the G League and ho- hockey. No, excuse me. Hockey has the minor leagues. I believe. Uh, don't quote me on that. Basketball has the G League, and Major League Baseball has the minor leagues. Those sports, you either get promoted or you get demoted. You either get promoted to the starting five, or you're riding the bench as the sixth man. Or you're at, or you're a starter on a G League team, or start on a minor league team. So you're in the start. You're either riding the bench in the minor leagues, and essentially will never see Major League Baseball, or you're a starter. That's a or you're in the starting lineup, who will be nothing more than a career minor league player, or you're at the top of the lineup in the minor leagues, who's a major league prospect. Or, or you're riding the bench on a major league team trying to make their way to be in the starting lineup at the major league level. Or you're, or you're in the NFL and you're on the practice squad trying to make the 53. You're on the 53, but towards the, the bottom of the depth chart. You're at the bottom of the depth chart trying to make your, trying to make your way into the the 40 something, the 40 something players that dress during game day. You want to go from somebody that not only dresses for game day, but also is going to be inserted into the starting 22 on on the football on the football team. And Dion said it best. Coaches, they're either promoted or they're let go. They're either elevated to at least at the collegiate level and or the high school level, they're promoted to the next level, or they get shown the door, they get shown the door. That's it. There is no minor leagues if a coach doesn't if the coach doesn't uh doesn't pan out well. There's no G League if there's no G League. There's no practice squad if a coach doesn't if the coach doesn't perform up to snuff. So, it's a it's a promotion. It's a promotion. He went from uh, FBS school to 
to uh, he went from I think he went from let me make sure I get this right. He went from the SWAC to the Pac-12. He went from Jackson State, Jackson, Mississippi, to Boulder, Colorado. Regardless, you want to sit up here and talk about HBCUs, PWI, this, that, and the other. Bottom line is, is that it's an improvement. He went from FCS to the FBS. It's a promotion. And rather than, and I'm speaking to black people when I say this, rather than being the fox with the sour grapes and 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 being jealous and calling Dion a sellout, he broke promises, this, that, and the other. Uh, you sold out. He was only in it for the bag and for the media attention and and, and and he left black people out to dry. This is why we can't do this, can't do that. Time the hell out, okay? We as black people and as black sports fans, we can't. He went, this man went from coaching a Division I AA FCS school to coaching a Division I single A FBS school in the Pac-12 not the Mountain West. Not the Ivy League. The Pac-12. Now, it's not the Big Ten, it's not the SEC, but it's the Pac-12. For a short period of time, he will be going, his teams will be going up against that conference's powerhouses for now in USC and UCLA and the current big Pac-12 football champion in Utah. And I can't listen to black people and black sports fans get on Deion Sanders calling him a sellout, calling him a, you know, calling him and ridiculing him and calling him you know, a phony, a poser, a fraud, this, that, and the other, when we, in the same breath, turn around and moan and groan and bitch and moan when there are many of Division One A college football coaching opportunities and we complain when we get past the when we get past the bye. Now, granted, it is a little bit of a different element. Deion Sanders is going to have an easier time getting a job at any top-level college football program he wants because he's Deion Sanders rather than, say, uh, Mel Tucker, the head coach of uh, Michigan State. So I understand and I get that. Deion Sanders is royalty, not just within the NFL, but within the game of football. He's royalty. His net, his name carries cachet within the sport, whether it's at the high school preparatory level, the college level, or the NFL level. If you ever want to get into coaching in the National Football League, his name holds cachet. This is a man who arguably is considered one of the greatest, uh, who's considered one of, if not the greatest, cornerback in the National Football League. Sure doubt, first ballot Hall of Famer. 
two-time Super Bowl champion, defensive player of the year, six-time first-team All-Pro, led the led the league 30 years ago in kickoff return yards, was on a 90s all-decade team, was on the NFL 100 anniversary all-time team, unanimous All-American at Florida State, won the Jim Thorpe Award in 88, I mean, this is a guy who's in the college football and the pro football hall of fame. And oh, by the way, was the likes of Bo Jackson and was a two-sport professional athlete. Played baseball and football at the professional top level. And he's the only athlete in the history of sports to play in a Super Bowl and in a World Series. This is Deion Sanders we're talking about. So the idea that, that, oh, this is prime we're talking about. This ain't, this ain't just some average Joe here. This is, this is a man that's accomplished a lot of things within the game of football from the late 80s at Florida State to with the Cowboys, the Falcons, the 49ers. He's done a lot. And I don't want to hear, and I don't need to hear, black people getting on a little soapbox on social media, this, that, and the other, throwing a hissy fit because Deion Sanders left Jackson State to go to Boulder, Colorado. Isn't the idea, I mean, I might be wrong on this. I might be wrong. But isn't the idea to get more black people in the door and to give them more opportunities within white America, within uh, within uh, Hollywood, within sports, corporate America... Isn't that the idea for us to for us as a people to infiltrate the predominantly white areas of American society that make the world go round, whether it's in economics, entertainment, or in sports? Isn't that the idea? That there's more of us, there's more representation at the table, more representation uh more representation when it when when it comes uh, with us being there in the room isn't that the idea in and all these conversations we had talking about ending systematic racism post George Floyd going on to 3 years ago was is wasn't that the idea i understand that we also in the same breath need to invest and build from within. I understand and I get that. But at the same time, we're gonna do cut your nose off to spite your face. I mean the bottom line is is that Deion Sanders is more uh pliable to reach more people and to bring in more recruits to get more players into the NFL 
and to do what he has set out in his heart as a college football coach to do, being at Boulder, Colorado, then at Jackson, Mississippi. School more makes more money, more resources. I mean, if Colorado within a year or so's time is a top level, and it's going to take time, that program's been in the basement for years. But you mean to tell me right now that Colorado, you know, in the next few years is one of the best college football programs in the country and they're going up against, I don't know, Alabama or Georgia or USC on a sat on a Saturday night in October that people wouldn't sit down and tune in and watch Prime do his work against the against the regular cornerstones of college football. You mean to tell me that that wouldn't hold value to it? What? What, because it isn't an HBCU, we shouldn't care? People gotta gotta get off that. This isn't 1942. This isn't 1952 anymore. I understand the value and the presence of the need for us to have HBCUs and the importance and, and the value that they have in the tradition and the history and everything else, but let's stop acting like that if you're black and you don't decide to go to or participate solely in an HBCU university or athletic program that you're a sellout or you're whitewashed. No, you're not. No, you're not. A, a lot of HBCUs are hell of expensive. That's for one thing. And two, what? Is it black people's fault that people that work and run white institutions, they are more willing to give us, and meaning us, I'm saying Dion in this circumstance, a circumstance, uh, an opportunity when a lot of black universities and colleges don't. Is, is that Dion's fault? Think about it. If you have a goal, and you know that you have to go through uh, school, uh, some schooling or some mentorship program of any kind in order for you to accomplish that goal that you have set out for yourself. Should you be worried about and playing the logistics, and not logistics, but playing the, 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 the political game of black versus white and all this other sort of stuff. Cause at the end of the day, your goal is to accomplish whatever Dion's goal is to change the game of college football. And I would imagine be a multiple time national champion. Does it matter who gives you the opportunity or is it more important that the opportunity, regardless what color of individual gives it to you that the opportunity is given to you for you to accept or deny to my knowledge it looks like that Deion Sanders wasn't given an offer or a contract extension or an ultimatum whatever for him to stay at Jackson State 
So what that shit says to me is that they didn't truly value him monetarily the presence and the influence that he had within that organization and to that university and their football program. That's what that says to me. That somebody, and I understand he said it, well, he said it that he isn't in it for the money and he's made his money, money. But the bottom line is Deion Sanders ain't doing this, ain't doing this for free. So is it his fault that somebody white who, you know, running an institute, running a college university that's majority white, is it his fault that they gave him the opportunity and people of Deion Sanders' own kind didn't? What's Deion supposed to do in that situation? What is he supposed to stay still, stay stuck, stay frustrated? Stay in the inferior situation when he's got when he has a goal set in mind to take off and elevate and bring other people with him in his elevation process, or he's supposed to stay stuck, stay still, stay content just because it's an HBCU and it's people around him that look like him and this, that, and the other. When he's got a goal in mind in his head to that that exceeds Jackson State University and Boulder, Colorado, and all this other foolishness. Does it really matter what color of people gives him the opportunity, or does it matter that the opportunity is is just presented to him for him to take? And I think us as the people get too caught up in the in the messenger who's the deliverer of the messenger, what they look like, what they act like, what their temperament is, how do they say it, when they say it. They get all caught up in the machinations instead of being focused on the meat and potatoes, which is, the, is, which is in this case with Dion, the opportunity to grow college football for the better and an opportunity for more black head coaches to be in that room and in that environment. These college football teams are 70-plus percent black we sit back, we complain about Dabo Sweeney and all these. Every time Dabo Sweeney, I don't like him. And, and Kirby Smart, Saban, Lane Kiffin, Riley, we, all these white. We, we complain to the cows come home. All these white coaches all over America leading, leading, leading uh, being leaders of men with, with a team that's 70%, if not more, of, 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 of our, of our uh, young black men which in this stage, this part of my life, are my peers that were born in, that were born in 98, not, that were born, not 98, but born in 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, We complain, we bellyache, we make fun, we do this, we do that. Then when somebody that looks like us and shares our complexion has an opportunity we want them to stay behind and stay uh, and stay stuck and to and to and to basically not excel it's, it's like that it's like that old idiom like crabs in a barrel you ever you ever try it now this is a maryland thing so you know mike and you see you wouldn't understand think about uh, think about a bunch of live crabs Bunch of live crabs, 
You put them in a barrel, ready to put them in a pot to kill them and, and then cook them so you can fit in to eat them. Think about a, think about a, a bushel of live crabs. You ever try? And if those Mar and Maryland's out there, they un they they know they know where I'm going with this. You ever try pulling a live crab out of the barrel to put into the boiling pot of hot water? You know what they do? They latch on to each other. One after the other after the other. Like one is trying to get out and, and, and escape and leave and this, that, and the other. And all the other crabs are reaching back, pulling as hard as they can to keep them stuck, to keep them together, keep them in bondage, to keep, to keep them stuck, to keep them in that state of uncomfortability and utter chaos. Bernie Mac had a, had a joke in one of his stand-up routines. And it was funny, but he was absolutely correct. He was saying, you know, I got, he's talking about how he's tired of hearing the Dr. King speech. He'd say, I have a dream. I have a dream, this is 22, 23 years ago now. I have a dream that black people one that one day black people will stop acting like crabs in a barrel. Meaning what? When one person, one black person, in this case Dion, is trying to escape, free him, not necessarily free himself, but get out from the under, get out from the the uh, the collection of uh, of of his own you know group community surroundings whatever it might be, him trying to get out from that and trying to find his own identity individualism and trying to escape trying to do better for himself and in turn in this case trying to do better for his other people that he's leaving behind, and instead rather than us being smart enough. And being unselfish to say, you know what, we don't want to see him go, but we gotta, we we gotta love you enough to let you go. Let him, let him do your, let him do your thing, and hopefully, the he'll go out there and he'll do his work, and we'll be benefited in the long term. We'll benefit from it as a result. Instead of that, we're crabs in a barrel, trying to bring Dion down, calling him a sellout, calling him a fraud. This, that, and calling him everything in the book. Because he simply got an opportunity through his own hard work, through his own sacrifice, and now all of a sudden we want to ridicule him and chastise him and speak ill of him for it. Mm-mm. No. I, I, no. Not not going to do it. Not not. I'm not going to do it, and not on this show. I'm I'm gonna do it, nor I'm gonna allow it. Because you can't sit up here and bellyache that black people can't don't get enough opportunities within the mainstream world of sports, whether it's coaching at the collegiate level, at the, on the college basketball, college football, college uh, 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 college baseball, 
hockey, wherever, the NFL, the NBA, Major League. We can't sit up here and scream and yell and bellyache and complain. Why is there more of us, more of us represented in, in, the, in these roles, X, Y, and Z, here, there, and everywhere? And yet when, yet when one person of our constituency gets the opportunity, we wanted to drag them back down and keep them down and say, what are you doing? Where are you going over to the border, Colorado? You're a sellout. It's a PWI, not an HBCU, and all this other bull jive I keep on hearing. The bottom line is about opportunity. And I thought one of the main messages that I got in the aftermath of George Floyd being killed two Mays ago, well, really three Mays ago, was it's about us as black people getting that opportunity and getting our seat at the table amongst our white counterparts that are at the table and hold positions of power and or influence. I thought that's what it was about in the end. And building within our own community is great. I encourage it and I'm for it. But black people ain't going to rule the world or run the world in America and have all the say-so and the influence that we dream of and that we want overnight. It's going to take generations. And quite a few people, you know, Deion, Deion Sanders may not even be around to see it where it's black people all over the place running businesses and the banks and having positions of power and American government, this, that, and the other. He and his generation may not even be alive to see it, but it's about starting right now. And what's Dion going to do? What, what did you expect for Dion to stay at Jackson state forever? And, 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 and what's the high, and what's honestly, what's the highest pinnacle that he can accomplish? What getting a nationally televised game against, against Alabama on e, on ESPN. I mean, it's not, I mean, they're in separate divisions of NCAA football. We expect prime to, to take, to send Jackson state to the college football playoff. Jackson state's level isn't, isn't, in the isn't in the D1A that a D1AA. Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, they're in the FCS. No, in the FBS. Jackson's in the FB is in the FCS. He went there, accomplished what he wanted to accomplish, brought relevancy, brought brought attention, brought change, helped change that school and that state dramatically financially with his money and also with his influence brought a lot of attention and a lot of dollars to that school but just because he went there doesn't mean that he should be stuck there that was just a that was just a stop on his coaching journey just to stop he wanted he's not intended wasn't intended to be there forever now can he come back obviously possibly who knows 
is he going to be in Boulder for the rest of his career? I don't think so. Hell, Saban has, wasn't at Alabama forever. Coached at Michigan State. Coached at LSU. Kirby Smart, you know, coached at Alabama before he got back to his alma mater at, uh, at Georgia. This is the first D1A position that Dion's gotten in his coaching career. Will it be his last? I don't think so. It's just another stop on his head coaching journey. And Dion's goal is to change college football for the better. He started out small. He didn't try to eat more. He didn't. His eyes weren't bigger than his stomach. He didn't try to bite off more than he could chew. Baby steps. Started out within his own people, within his own community as black people. 2020, goes to Jackson State. Built, does a solid job there. Went back-to-back SWAC championships. Conference championships. Goes from there, Boulder, Colorado. Sub, sub, subpar, sub-level football team in the Pac-12. Does, and you know, we'll see what he does there. Then from there, he might move to a big-time team in, in the Big Ten. If he doesn't coach Ohio State or Michigan or Michigan State or Maryland College Park, wherever, he, he, he'd go coach an SEC team, whether it's Alabama, Auburn, uh, uh, LSU, Georgia, Tennessee, who, Vanderbilt, who knows? Puts in his time there. Maybe he goes ahead and uh and, and and goes back to Osama Minor and coaches Florida State. Maybe that's his maybe that's his calling in the end. He goes through all these stops and then be and then turns Florida State into the powerhouse that it was back when he played and and even with uh, Bobby Bowden in the early two thousands, like it was twenty years ago. But we'll never see that. We'll never know that. We'll never anticipate that. If every single time a member of our community gets an opportunity that's outside of the confines of what's comfortable and familiar to us amongst people that look like us and our own peers, we'll never know. Deion Sanders is what? In his in his mid late fifties. Been around white people all his life. So all all, all what Deion Sanders is gonna leave Jackson State all of a sudden he ain't gonna know how to operate and know how to and how to uh, conduct practice and know how to conduct and carry himself around 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 uh, white people up in Boulder, Colorado. Was it, is it going to be Dion's first time where he's in a predominantly uh, white state or predominantly white uh, town or city? This man from Fort Myers, Florida, and, and, and was and was raised in the seventies and eighties. I mean, come on. And half the people that are sitting up here bitching and moaning about Dion. Uh, uh, "Quote unquote," selling out and leaving an HBCU. Lord knows when was if, if Lord knows what college they went to if they went to a college at all, and or 
if they went to an HBCU their damn selves. Furthermore, if they financially or with their time contribute to an HBCU either they went to, a friend or family member of theirs has gone to, or one that's in their local neighborhood. And yet we want to sit up here and and make Deion Sanders out to be out to be what, Herschel Walker? I mean, come on. Come on. Should be celebrating him getting the opportunity. Instead, we want to call him a sellout and this, that, and the other. All the things he did for that school in a short amount of time in the state of Mississippi. And if he feels like he and if he feels like that he uh you know that he doesn't want to have to deal with Jackson, Mississippi not having any running water or Whatever, he that's his right. That's his right. Just Deion Sanders. He's paid his dues. That's his right. He won't have to deal with Jackson, Mississippi and 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 and, and, and dealing with dealing with the with the with the with the dark scary parts of the deep south and, and Jackson Mississippi not having any runny water running water in the in the city not the city but the state being defrauded by that joke Brett Favre he doesn't want to want to have to deal with that foolishness that's his right he's paid his dues he doesn't know he doesn't owe anybody an explanation or or, or reasoning to 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 stay or leave Jackson. It's just right. And it doesn't make him a sellout. It makes Deion Sanders an individual. He paid his dues. He did what he wanted to accomplish at Jackson State. He wanted a new challenge. And a challenge that was that was that that he worked for, that he earned. The opportunity that was given to him because he worked for it. And he don't owe anybody anything. And if you felt like that he really should have, that he was supposed to essentially be the Nick Saban or the Bear Bryant of Jackson State Tiger football, then why is it that Jackson State didn't move heaven and earth to make sure they didn't leave for the bigger programs? Because if that truly was the case and it was supposed to be etched in stone that Deion Sanders, so the day he croaks, was supposed to be the head football coach for the Jackson State Tigers program for the rest of his natural born days, then how come Jackson State didn't feel the same way and give him a contract extension and give him everything that he wanted and or asked for and more? I'm guessing that he uh that 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 he wasn't offered an extension. I don't know that for sure, but I've read and heard a lot of people's thoughts and conversations about it, and I haven't heard not one piece of evidence that he was gifted the opportunity to stay past this year. You need to stop hating and dragging each other down.
instead lifting each other up. Congratulations to Dion. And it's not that he's also, you know, he's not going into a situation where, you know, next next football season his team's going to be is going his team's going to be competing for a national championship. It's not easy. This was this wasn't a glamorous job for them to take. But he felt like he was supposed to go to Boulder, Colorado and revamp and change their program. And who knows? This will probably be for the better for college football. Like I said, Dion will go back to the players that, you know, that are walk-ons, that got no recruitment attention in high school, no scouts, no no media coverage at, at their high school games. The the guy that that that's a, that's a very good uh, high school fo- varsity football player starter all four years or or three out of the four years whatever they walk onto the program they bust their ass they put in the work Dion sees it likes likes their heart likes their work ethic and and all of a sudden he finds all these hidden gems that typically get passed over. Because college football now has essentially become nothing more than a minor, at least at this level, a minor league version of the NFL. Where if the media isn't, where if social media and ESPN don't have the eyes and the cameras on you at all times, 24-7, and, and your social media ain't popping, and, 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 and these big-time scouts don't get a hold of you through the whirlwind and aren't showing up, to your game, so this, that, and the other, and you aren't playing, you know, cha- uh, and you aren't playing state championship games in NFL stadiums, or, 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 uh, or, or, or in co- or in college football stadiums, or whatever. You'll never get noticed if you don't play at essentially these, these, uh, these, these, these high school uh, prep school cat, you know, f- uh, f- uh, ca- uh, factories, a la IMG Academy. The, these 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 factories that that pump out uh that pump out essentially future NFL players you might as well bend over and kiss whatever college football career at a major university goodbye so this could be a good thing it gets back it, it, the reset button of college football back to where it was when Dion was coming up the way it's supposed to be where the, where the hardest working player, not, not not always necessarily the best player, gets the shot, gets the attention, and at least gets the opportunity to prove themselves and showcase themselves to the world. Not to mention the culture difference probably that will take place within, within that institution. Again, it's about opportunity. Take a break. We'll be right back. With a tail as big as a kite 
Welcome back to the Amatelikatiyas podcast. An item of uh, news in terms of the baseball free agency cycle offseason to get uh, to give you my two cents on before we say uh, goodbye. Well, before we say goodbye, we'll have the week 12 picks against, or excuse me, the week 14 picks against the spread. Uh, Xander Bogarts is now a member of the San Diego Padres getting an 11-year uh, getting an 11-year, uh, con- 11-year, $280 million contract from the San Diego Padres over the last 48 hours. The Padres, of course, the uh, National League runners-up losing to the Philadelphia Phillies in six games uh, in the NLCS this past October. Uh, remember, there will be no uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Throughout the through the first, I believe, twelve games of the twenty twenty three season, because and the way it worked is that his is that the further and further the Padres got into the playoffs, the more and more it ate up Fernando Tatis's uh, suspension, uh, uh, PED suspension. So he will not be and think if the uh, Philly, if the Phillies forced a game seven and made it to the World Series. They would what? That's eight games. So he would only if they made it to Game Seven of the World Series, they would only Fernando would only have to serve four games. But instead, he still has twelve, which will be the first week and a half, two weeks of the twenty twenty three season. Once the uh, spring, or excuse, yeah, the twenty twenty three twenty twenty three season. Once the spring rolls around, Bogarts last year. For this past season, I should say, 307, 15 home runs, 73 RBI, sucking percentage of 456, OPS of 833, on base percentage of 377, 171 hits. Uh, he's four-time four All-Star, five-time Silver Slugger winner, two-time World Series champion, a career 292 hitter. Uh, so that that is an excellent uh, sign uh, from for the Padres to help with the help with their lineup. What got them and that what got them in trouble many of times against the uh, against the against the Padres no against the Padres against the Phillies in the NLCS is because they would have these cold spells where they just couldn't hit. They'd have you know they'd have these spells where they would get one they'd get one hit they'd get five, they'd you know score five they'd score six runs one night and then two runs the next. So they were a very inconsistent offensive team, especially in the NLCS against the against Philadelphia. Not to mention Philadelphia had a lot of guys within their lineup, as I discussed two months ago, that you know they have a lot of home run hitters in their lineup: Schwarber, Hoskins. Uh, Harper, of course, they got about three, four, five guys in that lineup 
uh, that that can hit the that can uh, hit the ball a long way and drive the ball out of the ballpark uh, if need be. Meanwhile, with the Padres with no Tatis, it kind you know you had you had Manny Machado, you had Cronenworth, and then you had to look and see where your next big bopper and your lineup uh, is going to come from. Bogarts, uh, Bogarts certainly adds, uh, certainly helps you with your home runs, of course, with the 456 slugging percentage, which isn't too shabby in his career. He's hit, uh, you know, he's, uh, in 2019, he hit, tw- he hit 33 home runs, uh, and, uh, 2021, he hit 23 lat this past season was a down year. Uh, for him, home run wise, only hit 15, but you will certainly take his uh, production at the plate with his uh, with this 307 batting average that he had for the Red Sox this year, and uh, and he's certainly a good presence. I mean, you got Mach- you have Machado, Bogarts, Tatis, and Juan Soto. That Soto's the other guy out of the Padre lineup. I forgot, but Soto, but Soto, albeit he got traded uh, by the Nationals in July in early August. And got his uh, contract extension. He Soto really had a terrible season for his standards. Terrible regular season in 2022, and he essentially was not, uh, you know, had a postseason to forget his first year with the uh, San Diego Padres over this past fall. But you got Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Cronenworth, uh, Tatis. Once he gets his act together, and now you and now you have uh, and now you have. Uh, Xander Bogarts on the left side of the infield as as your shortstop. Not a bad, not a bad deal if you're uh, if you're the uh, San Diego Padres. Now, will they? How they? How will they address? You know where Fernando Tatis is once he comes back off of his suspension. Will the will the Padres make him? Aren't now granted they they are paying him an exponential amount of money. But on top of the, but on top of the, uh, but on top of the fact that uh, that he was injured, of course, with the with the broken wrist, with the motorcycle accident, and then the issue with testing positive for the PEDs. Well, the Padres just to send a message to him that hey, just because you're Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, not you're not everything to you is is guaranteed on a silver platter. Will they make him uh, earn that uh, shortstop position back, or will they say? shortstop Xander's position, uh, then not to mention you also have Manny Machado too at third base. You know, will they say shortstop is Xander's position, Fernando, you play second base, we'll stick you in the outfield, or will they have Xander uh, be the reins for about two weeks and then Fernando comes back off his suspension and he gets shortstop back, so you have Machado at third, uh, Machado at third, Tatis at short, and Xander Bogarts at second base. That will be a thing to keep an eye on uh, come next spring. But Xander Bogarts is a Padre. The uh, f- the uh, the Red Sox look like they're going through a full sale purge. Uh, if you're a Red Sox fan, you certainly cannot be proud of the fact that your team's essentially ripping it down, and it's and it's gonna and it's gonna possibly be an ugly 2023 in store for you, and maybe later on. Uh, throw in the fact. That uh, that there's going to be a lot of teams out there that's still in the market for shortstops. Uh, you have uh, Carlos Correa and I believe Dansby, Dansby Swanson, the two big time A list shortstops that are still on the free agency, free agency market. Turner's off the board, uh, and Bogarts is to- Bogarts is off the board. 
and uh, Tur Trey Turner is off the board. You have two left with Correa and uh, and with, um, I just said his name, with uh, Correa and Dansby Swanson. I heard uh, rumblings that the pot, that the, uh, that the Dodgers possibly would not be interested in bringing in Carlos Correa because his, because he was on the 2017 Houston Astros team and the fact that the Astros fan wouldn't want him. My thoughts on that is that I at least give the Ast if that's the perception, I at least give the Astro fan the credit uh, that they're that they're sticking to their guns and they're being consistent on it and not you know call him everything but a child of God because he was on the cheating team one minute and then when the opportunity presents itself to scream and yell to the high heavens to uh, join their roster the next. So I give the Astros credit on that and then I also look at the Astros a little cockeyed because because at the end of the day, I mean. At some point in time, you got to move on, and if he can help your team win a championship cleanly and legitimately, why turn down an opportunity? I understand it's not like that the that the Dodgers need any more superstar players, but I mean, it's I understand both sides of the argument. You know, it's good. I I commit if that's really the. Uh, if that's if that's the perception, and the perception in this case would be the reality that the uh, Dodger fan doesn't want Correa because of his cheating past, I respect him on that. And then at the same time, you know, if he can help you win, as some uh, if you're an Astro fan, you got to ask yourself when are you going to uh, put the. Ch I mean, the Astros have won again since without Correa on the team. And you, albeit it's the corner, a lot of people call it the Mickey Mouse Championship, the 60 game season, uh, with no fans in the bubble in Arlington. You also have won a championship since that 17, uh, since that 17 World Series. At some point, do you kind of, you know, uh, t turn, not turn, well, I guess turn the other cheek and move on. It was five years ago, all things being fair and equal. It was, it was, it was, it was five, it was five, it was five years ago. It was not this, you know, I, I understand in the feeling of slighted and is Correa the more, way more um, embrace, embraceable uh, uh, SARS that baseball has, at, at least in terms of the perspective of the L.A. Dodger fan. No, but at one point, at some point, you got to say, let bygones be bygones. And if he wants to be there and he can help your team win, you kind of have to, you know, extend forgiveness and hope and pray that he can win you a title to make up for it. That's where you stand on Major League Baseball here as we are in the thick of the offseason, period. We'll close the show the same way we began it. NFL Week 14 picks against the spread in the league where they play. to pay. Game number one, the four and eight Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the seven and five Tennessee Titans. Jacksonville Jaguars last time out got curb stomped by the uh, Detroit Lions on the road. Meanwhile, the Tennessee Titans looking at chops coming off of back-to-back -back losses at the hands of the Cincinnati Bengals and last week the uh, Philadelphia Eagles in the AJ Brown event in the AJ Brown revenge game. Trevor Lawrence injured with a toe injury, did not practice on Thursday. Questionable for Week 14, as is Zay Jones, who was uh, limited in practice on Thursday with a chest injury. Give me the Tennessee Titans to get off the Schneid 
with a 24-14 victory. Tennessee favored minus three and a half. Jets coming off of their uh, five-point loss at the hands of the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday. They head up to Orchard Park to take on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Bills favored at nine and a half. Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game by the final score of 28-24. The Baltimore Ravens play the Pittsburgh Steelers week 14. Hard to believe that these two teams went the first, uh, I know it's happened before, but these two teams go the first two months of the regular, actually first three months of the regular season without playing each other. Pittsburgh Steelers somehow, some way are continuing to find ways to win. They've won back-to-back games on the road, beating the Colts, the Atlanta Falcons, the Baltimore Ravens, 8-4, uh, trying to keep my Cincinnati Bengals off their tail. They uh, they are coming off of a, a shootout victory, uh, courtesy of the Denver Broncos' uh, offensive ineptitude and Tyler Huntley's 91-yard uh, genius of a drive on Sunday, defeating the Denver Broncos 10-9. They needed to win out the rest of the way in order for them to hold on first place in the AFC North, and it begins with going up against Mike Tomlin, and Kenny Pickett, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. No Lamar Jackson through the through this week and possibly up for the next two weeks after the fact with the PCL injury. It's the Tyler Huntley show. Pittsburgh's favorite minus two and a half. Give me the Baltimore Ravens to find a way to get the job done. Winning this game by the final score of 17 to, uh, 17 to 10. I believe last year both of these teams didn't play each other until uh, December. Uh, but anyway, I'm getting off the beaten path. The Philadelphia Eagles coming off of their uh, impressive uh, victory at home against the Tennessee Titans last Sunday. Meanwhile, the New York football Giants coming off of a 2020 tie between them and the Washington Commanders. Uh, Giants need to start stacking some wins here at 7-4. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Eagles trying to maintain space between them and the 10-2 Minnesota Vikings. Eagles took care of business last week. I continue them to extend the winning ways and improve to 12-1. Give me the Philadelphia Eagles who are currently sitting as 7-point favorites against the Giants. Give me the Eagles to win this game by the final score of 28-10. The Cleveland Browns against my Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals 6-point favorites coming off of their impressive week 13 victory at home against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Cleveland Browns won in ugly fashion uh, with a touchdown on defense and special teams and their victory against the Houston Texans last week as it's Deshaun Watt and Deshaun Watson's Cleveland Browns debut. The Cincinnati Bengals have yet to beat the Cleveland Browns with Joe Burrow under the helm at quarterback, uh, trying to get revenge from that disgusting, disgraceful performance that America had to sit through on Monday Night Football way back on Halloween night. And because we do nothing to beat the teams that we should beat and against the teams that nobody expects us to beat, a la the Kansas City Chiefs, it would be such typical Bengals fashion for this four-game winning high that we've been on over the last, essentially, month and a week uh, would come to a screeching halt to the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson because that's how this football team does business. Give me the Cleveland Browns to win this game by the final score of 27 2 17. Prove me wrong, boys. Prove me wrong. The Minnesota Vikings taking on the Detroit Lions up at Ford Field. The Lions are two and a half point 
favorites taking on the uh, 10 and 2 Minnesota Vikings who beat the Jets last week. Meanwhile, the uh, Detroit Lions are coming off of an impressive Week 13 blowout victory at home. Give me the and the 5 and 7 Detroit Lions are favored over the 10 and 2 Minnesota Vikings. When was the last time you've seen that occur throughout the stretch of, of an NFL season? Give me the Minnesota Vikings to take care of business and win this football game by the final score of 35-28. The Houston Texans head to their in-state rival Dallas to take on the Dallas Cowboys, who are 17-point favorites coming off of their 50-piece against the Indianapolis Colts at home on Sunday Night Football. Meanwhile, the Texans coming off of a uh, hairy loss at the hands of the... Uh, Cleveland Browns last week. Give me the Dallas Cowboys to curb stomp the Houston Texans by the final score of 52-10. Keep things rolling. The Kansas City Chiefs are nine-point favorites coming off of their road loss at the hands of my Bengals last week. Meanwhile, the Denver Broncos, who are who feels like having executed offensively since the days of Peyton Manning going on seven, eight years ago. Uh, as they tried to, uh, for a change, beat the Kansas City Chiefs, a team they haven't beaten, it feels like, since Peyton retired. You expect Kansas City to get back on the schneid after that horrendous uh, loss at the hands of Cincinnati last week. Give me Kansas City. They won't score a lot of points because the Denver defense is very good, but they'll do just enough to take care of business. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs to win this game by the final score of 24-2-3. The Carolina Panthers are three-and-a-half-point road underdogs against the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks took care of business courtesy of a Geno Smith game-winning drive. Touchdown pass uh, sealed it to DK Metcalf towards the end against the Los Angeles Rams at SoFi. Meanwhile, the Carolina Panthers are coming off. I believe they had a bye last week, didn't they? Yes, they had a bye last week. Coming off of their bye, week 12, they got the job done against the... Uh, Denver Broncos winning that game by the final score of 23-10. to 10. Give me the Seattle Seahawks. They need every single gimme game. Seahawks only have two of them. They got a, a, uh, a uh, difficult stretch to end the season. A layup game for Carolina coming off of beating the Rams. The Seahawks need to start padding these wins to, um, to keep the pressure on San Francisco for first place in the NFC West and to keep the pressure on Washington and the Giants who they hold tiebreaker over in the NFC wildcard chase. Give me the Seattle Seahawks to take care of business, get the job done, and win this game by the final score of 31-17. to The Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming off of their miracle Monday night victory earlier this week on Monday, taking on the San Francisco 49ers and Brock Purdy making his first ever NFL start. San Francisco got got the job done against the uh, against the Miami Dolphins last uh, last Sunday afternoon. Bucks coming off of that emotional last second victory against the division rival Saints. Uh, you have uh, Britt is expected to return their linebacker off of injured reserve. Uh, Leonard Fournette is questionable with a foot injury this week. Picks their D, their D end is questionable with a foot injury as well. Sean Murphy Bunting was limited in practice on Thursday with a quadriceps injury. He is also questionable. 
with a quad injury as well. Antoine Whitfield did not practice on Thursday with an ankle injury. He's doubtful, as is Trenton Wirfs, who did not practice on Thursday for the same injury. He is doubtful as well. Nick Bosa, questionable with the hamstring, did not practice on Thursday. He is questionable for Sunday's game. And, of course, you have... Uh, uh, Ken Law, their D-tackle, he's expected to return this week, and you won't see more one of the defensive backs until week 13. Give me the San Francisco 49ers to win this game by the final score of 24-2-3. The Miami Dolphins are favored by a field goal coming off of their aforementioned loss at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers last week. They take on the Los Angeles Chargers who lost to, to, who lost to Vegas in Vegas that Sunday. Give me the Miami Dolphins to bounce back and win this game by the final score of 35-27. The New England Patriots um, on Monday Night Football taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Patriots are one and a half point favorites taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Patriots coming off of and have had a lot of time to think about the Week 13 loss at home against the uh, Buffalo Bills in which their offense did not show up. And the Arizona Cardinals are coming off of a uh, are coming off of a uh, Week 13 uh, coming off a Week 13 bye. Week 12 they did, could not get the job done against the Los Angeles Chargers at home, losing by a point 25-24. This is a tough game to pick. But I will take the Arizona Cardinals to win this game by the final score of 23-20. And those are your week 14 picks against the spread. And that is another episode of the I'm Tell It Like a T.I.S. podcast that is in the books. We will have an episode for you, not on Wednesday. On Tuesday, we will have an episode for you to recap Week 14 and other things in the world of sports over this over this upcoming weekend. If you like what you heard and are new to the program, please don't hesitate to subscribe, share with your friends and family. Uh, follow the show on Twitter and it, follow the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore T I is and the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Check me out on Wednesday's episode of Wednesday Night Tailgate with Michael Ruick and Anthony Zavala, Drill Sergeant Z. On the Wednesday Night Tailgate, you can check them out on Spotify. It's your boy Jay Shields. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, take care. See you.